Appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. Let me put this clock up here because preacher said I could not go more than 15 minutes tonight, so no, he didn't say that, but well, something's wrong with my clock. Isn't that a blessing? There we go. All right, we'll see how that works. Take your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy chapter number 2, please. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. It is a pleasure and a privilege to be here tonight. Uh, we do, of course, want to continue to pray for Miss Leslie and their family and the preacher and as they have the viewing tonight for her grandfather and funeral service tomorrow. Uh, when he asked me to preach the other day, I said, I sure appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, preacher. And I told him the message that I would preach tonight. And it's out of these verses here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And my desire tonight is to be a blessing, to be a help, to be an encouragement. Uh, you know, we live in some dark days. We've had, we see it all the time. We've certainly seen it in the last couple of days with what's happened in Texas at the school. And, uh, there's some great need in our nation, great need in the hearts and lives of people. And, of course, that need is Jesus Christ. That's the need. Uh, we don't need politicians to solve everything. In fact, I don't know that anything they can really solve. Uh, we don't need a different president necessarily that's going to fix all of our problems. Uh, it, more, throwing more money at something doesn't fix things. Uh, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to preach a message that I think will hopefully encourage us along those lines a little bit and, and challenge us as well uh, to be better followers of Christ. If you will, take your Bibles at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Stand with me. We're just going to read the first four verses, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and read down through verse number 4. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this portion of your word. We pray that tonight, Holy Spirit, you might shine the light on it for us and help us to see and behold wondrous things out of thy law. That, Lord, we might leave here closer to Jesus, Lord, more committed to be a follower of Christ than we've ever been. I pray if there's someone here tonight that's not been saved or young or old, may tonight be the night that they trust Christ. May today be the day of their salvation, now the accepted time. Lord, work in our hearts tonight, please. I pray you'd bless this message. Lord, fill me, please, with thy spirit. I pray that I'll not say anything that I ought not to, but, Lord, I would say everything that you want me to. Guide and direct and do a work in our hearts that we cannot do for ourselves. And we'll praise you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to preach a message tonight from verse 2. Where the Bible says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. And we'll look at all four verses, but the title of the message is this. Are you a faithful follower of Christ? Are you a faithful follower of of Christ. I hope you'll answer that tonight. And then also, right along with that, do you want to be? 
I would say that because we're here on a Wednesday night and the weather has been off and on bad today and may get bad tonight, I don't know, that more than likely we do want to be faithful followers of Christ. I believe the Lord gives us some things here in this passage of Scripture, these verses here that will help us. Notice that expression in verse 2, faithful men. Now this, of course, is not speaking to the fact that only men can be faithful. We know that's not true. It's speaking of men and women, faithful Christians, faithful followers of Christ. Are you a faithful follower of Christ? Am I a faithful follower of Christ? And here's what I mean by that. Not in the sense that we're talking about being faithful to your family or faithful to church or faithful to your wife or faithful to your children or faithful to your job. That's all important, of course. But what I'm talking about, and I believe what the Lord is talking about here is this, being faithful to God, being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Here's what the Bible teaches. When you and I are faithful to the Lord like we ought to be, all these other matters of faithfulness will be cared for. You know, you can be faithful to church, faithful to read your Bible, faithful to activities, faithful to serve, and not be faithful to God. Because it's in here, folks. It's not what we do. Now, that's part of it. Don't misunderstand. I'm saying we should just quit doing our activities and service for the Lord. Of course not. That's a byproduct of us walking with God and knowing the Lord. When you put the byproduct before the goal, you weaken the goal. So may the Lord help us tonight to better understand how to be a faithful follower of Christ. So many people have their priorities regarding faithfulness to something or someone in the wrong order. When a person comes to know Christ as their Savior, they determine by God's grace to be faithful to the Lord, to be a faithful follower of Christ every day, then a wonderful thing happens in every area of their life, as I've already mentioned. All the other matters of faithfulness are cared for like they should be. If you and I want to be a faithful Christian, a faithful follower of Christ in this day and age, and oh, how we need to be faithful followers of Christ in this day and in this age. I believe here in these verses, the Lord gives us some things that will enable us to do just that, to be a faithful follower of Christ. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at this first point here in verse number 1. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice that the faithful Christian finds his or her strength in the Lord. Our strength's in the Lord, folks. It's not in ourselves, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there's a power we can possess. In verse 1 it says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The emphasis here that Paul is led by the Lord to write to Timothy is the emphasis that we need today. The faithful Christian does not rely upon his own physical strength, his own mental strength, his own spiritual strength. Instead, we rely on the strength of the Lord. Let me ask you a question, and myself too. Whose strength do you rely on? Do you rely on the Lord's strength? Do I rely on the Lord's strength? Is it God's strength or is it your strength? Is it God's strength or is it my strength? I wonder what our answer is. Did you know that we're not in this thing called the Christian life by ourselves? <laughs> then why in the world do we try to live the Christian life most of the time by ourselves? Without God. 
The source of strength for the child of God is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In particular, it's found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember, as Paul is writing this, he's facing death. He's soon to be executed by the Roman government. Timothy will be his successor. He will have to take over much of the responsibility for the churches that Paul started around the world. Could Timothy stand under the pressure? Could he handle the problems and the circumstances that would arise? Would he work enough? Would he study enough? Would he learn enough? Would he pray enough? Would he witness enough? Would he preach enough? Would he teach enough? Would he endure enough? Would he strive enough? And Would he war enough in the Spirit? There was only one hope for Timothy. Just as there's only one hope for us, Timothy needed an unlimited strength, a strength that could drive him to conquer any circumstance and to work until the task was accomplished. That strength only comes from one source. And Paul knew that that strength is the strength of God. You see, the strength of men is no stronger than man is. Our strength ceases to be. In every area of life, our strength falls short and fails. But the strength of God's different, isn't it? It's omnipotent. It's all-sufficient. It's all-powerful. It conquers all. It even conquered death itself. If we can tap into the strength of God, we can conquer the circumstances of life. We can do the things that God put us down here to do. Paul knew that. And Paul knew that the strength of God was in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word grace there means undeserved or unmerited favor. The undeserved or unmerited favor are blessings of God. Oh, we don't deserve the favor of God. We don't deserve the blessings of God. But God loves us, doesn't he? He's provided for us a way to receive his favor and receive his blessings. And that's through the Son, his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The strength of God, the strength to conquer, the strength to overcome, the strength to be more than conquerors, the Bible says, is through Christ. But we've got to be strong in his strength. I can do all things, the Bible says, through Christ which strengtheneth me. So let me ask you again, whose strength do you rely upon? I'm talking about every day that you live. I'm not talking about when you just show up for church or when I just show up for church. I'm talking about when we leave here, go home. Whose strength are we relying on? When we get up in the morning to get ready for work and start our day, whose strength are we relying on? Are we relying on our strength and our wisdom and our choices and our this and our that? Or are we relying on God? May the Lord help us. Is it your strength? Is it my strength? What's our answer? Number one, the faithful Christian finds his or her strength in the Lord. There's a power to possess. Number two, the faithful Christian encourages others to follow Christ. Notice the principle to follow there in verse two. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Notice that expression, able to teach others also. And before we dig into this, go to Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at something. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 38. Let's remind ourselves of something that we should already know. Matthew chapter 9. In verse number 38, the Bible says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. God gives us the answer here in Matthew 9, 38 on how to get laborers. 
how to get laborers. The way to get laborers is not to recruit laborers. The way to get laborers is to pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, folks, this is important. Why? Because this, what we believe about this, reveals what we believe about God. Is it what we can do, who we can round up to labor, to work, to serve? Or do we really believe it all depends upon the Lord as we pray and we ask him to send forth labors into the harvest? We either believe the work depends upon us or we believe it depends upon the Lord. Now, I know there's the human element. The Lord uses people. I understand that. But the Bible says we're to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. If you're laboring tonight for the Lord, if you're serving the Lord in any capacity, guess what? Someone has prayed for you. Someone has prayed to the Lord that God would raise up our laborer, and you're the answer to the prayer. We must pray for laborers. This is the way God's work is done. So God gives laborers. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And notice what it plainly says. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We find here the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy. Well, Paul's about 30 years older than Timothy at this time. The Bible talks about Paul, Timothy in this verse, faithful men and others. There's four generations here. Think about how many things could be done for God and the work of God if we took this principle to follow to heart. You see, we have a responsibility as children of God every time we read our Bible, every time we study the Bible, every time we come to church and a message is taught in Sunday school or a message is preached from behind the pulpit. Any way that God speaks to us through his word, God lays upon us a responsibility to tell others about what we've learned, to share it with somebody else. It was said that in Spurgeon's day, the great Metropolitan Tabernacle, Thousands would come and hear him preach in an auditorium that is very unique with no sound system and no, uh, the way it was built, the acoustics was phenomenal. And Spurgeon, a short, fat man, and with a booming voice could be heard over every inch of that auditorium, that tabernacle. And some people have the idea that Spurgeon just went everywhere winning people to Christ and inviting people to church and, and filling that building every week, but that's not how it happened. If you go back into the records in the basement of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Dr. Peter Masters is the pastor there now, and he can show you where the people, they've got records of this, the people would leave the service after they would hear Dr. Spurgeon preach, and they would scour the streets of London and the streets and the, and the villages and the cities and the uh, communities around London, and they would share what they learned in church with others. And that's what brought the people back. Because someone heard it and then gave it to someone else who passed it along to someone else. And by the way, that's how churches grow. Did you know this is God's formula for church growth? God gave it to us here in, in 2 Timothy thousands of years ago. We're to take what we know and tell somebody else. When you got saved, when I got saved, the gospel was given to us and the Lord Jesus moved in. The Holy Spirit lives in our heart. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Praise the Lord for that. But we have a responsibility not just to say we're saved, but to tell somebody else how to be saved. Let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if it applies to you. How many, 
if you got saved because somebody else told you how to be saved. That's mostly everybody. What about people that are in this world tonight that need to be saved, and let's go a little further, that want to be saved, and they're just waiting on someone to tell them? Is it some of our relatives? Is it some of our coworkers? Is it our neighbors? Is it the person across the street? I don't know. But what about those people? Who's going to tell them? Are the cults going to tell them? Well, they may tell them something, but they won't tell them the truth. Folks, we have a responsibility. This is a principle that God wants us to follow. If we're going to be a faithful follower of Christ, then we need to be telling others and able to teach others also. It doesn't matter how much you know or how much you don't know. Preacher, I don't know much, and I'm not. It doesn't matter how much you know how much you don't know. Just tell what you know. If you're saved tonight, you have enough to say. Just give your testimony. If you know that you got saved, a song says, I was there when it happened, so I ought to know. You probably were there when it happened when you got saved. I hope you were. And so you ought to know. You ought to be able to tell somebody. You can tell somebody. Just tell them how you got saved. Be surprised what God can do, the power of a testimony. A preacher preached on Luke chapter 5 recently where the Lord was walking by the seaside and They'd been fishing all night, and the Lord told Peter to cast out, launch out into the deep and cast out your nets. So Peter took out a net, and they caught a great drought of fish. And he looked back on, to the Lord on the shore, and he went back and fell at the feet of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, I'll just read it here. The Bible says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken and so was also James and, John, the sons, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They became followers of the Lord Jesus. They were followers of Christ. If you look back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, as a follower of Christ, the principle is here that we might be able to teach others also. Someone's invested their life in you. Someone's invested their life in me. We ought to take what's been invested in us and invest it in somebody else. We should do all we can to reach other people for the Lord. Now, Paul is telling Timothy here this because Paul's about to pass off the scene. He knew it. Timothy, this is the way God's work is to be done. The, same, the things you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. What does that mean practically? Well, ladies, find another lady you can teach. You can help, encourage in the Lord. Men, find a man you can help and encourage in the Lord. Young people, find another young person you can help and encourage in the things of God. If you're an older couple, find a young couple. Invest your life in them and help them. The Bible talks about the older generation teaching the younger generation. That's a Bible principle. This is the way God's work is to be done. We've got to pass on to someone else the things that we've learned. That's a principle here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 
Number two, and the faithful follower of Christ understands that. We must encourage others to be faithful to the Lord. Look at number three here, verse number three. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's a price to pay if you're going to be a faithful follower of Christ. The Bible says we're to endure hardness. What is this price to pay? What is this hardness to endure? I believe it's this. I believe it's the private secret preparation that we make in our walk with God. If you're going to help someone else, if you're going to have the ability to be a help and a blessing and encourage someone else in the things of God, you need to be encouraged in the things of God first. I need to be encouraged in the things of God first. In other words, we need to spend time with the Lord before we go and try to help somebody else. Folks, that's the secret. If you remember in Mark chapter 4, I think it is, the Bible says that the Lord called the disciples to be with him, and then he sent them forth to preach. That order is important. We're called to be with Christ and then be sent forth to preach. If the Lord had sent them forth to preach before they were with him, they would have had nothing to preach. We need to spend time with the Lord. The character of our Christian life is determined by the time that we spend with the Lord Jesus. We cannot be a help to others unless we are walking with God. There's a price to pay. 2 Timothy chapter 2, this same chapter in verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, to dig into the well of Scripture is work. So, well, preacher, digging into Scripture, that's the preacher's job. It is the preacher's job to dig into Scripture. But let, let's let us ourselves in on a little secret. It's all of our jobs to dig into the Word of God. Listen, if, all we, if the only Bible that we get, talking to myself now tonight too as well, if the only Bible we get is when we come to church, Folks, we're anemic. We're, mal, we're malnourished Christians. We ought to be reading this book every day and studying this book every day and finding what God says and let God feed us and let God speak to us because when we do that, we spend time in the Word of God and we pay the price. When we dig into the Word of God, the precious Word of God, then God enables us to help somebody else with it. There's a price to pay. There's a price to pay in prayer takes time to pray the bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much now that verse there in james is not talking about just some little uh, memorized prayer that we pray this is talking about spending time with god in prayer and praying for others interceding on in the in behalf of others there's a price to pay there's a price to pay to die to self in fact, that's the ultimate price, to live the surrendered life. God has a life that he wants to give us, an abundant life, he says in John chapter 10 and verse 10, that we might have life more abundantly. But the only way to get that life is to die to our life, to die to self, to surrender all. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We're to present. I, I like that word there because I think of, a, I think of presents at Christmas. Huh. 
We're to present our body. When's the last time you made yourself a present to God? And you gave yourself to the Lord. Dr. Dean Miller, Sr., who was here for years and, of course, now has moved back to Colorado. And he's on our prayer bulletin tonight and has some health issues. And I know many of us are praying for him. And some of you are still keeping in touch with him. I am, too, some. But he had a habit. He preached for me two or three times over the years, stewardship meetings and a missions conference, I think, one time as well. And I remember him sharing the story that he had a habit that he made sure he took care of every single day. And that habit was simply to get along with God. He'd get his coffee and he'd get dressed and he'd sit down and begin to read the Word of God and pray at the same time. And in his prayer time, he would do something very unusual. I think he's told the story here before. But he would begin to surrender himself to the Lord. He would say, Lord, I give you my mind today. It's yours. Help me to think only the things you want me to think. Lord, I give you my eyes today. Help me to look upon only the things you want me to see. Lord, my ears are yours today. I only want to listen to what you want me to hear. Lord, my tongue and my lips are yours today. Help me to speak and say only what you want me to speak. And all the way down the line from his head to his toe, he would surrender himself to the Lord. Folks, that's what it means to pay the price. That's dying to self. You know why we have so much trouble as Christians in the Christian life? I know we talk about having trouble with the world and the flesh and the devil, and we do. But I believe our greatest struggle, I heard a preacher say this many years ago, and I've not forgotten it. Our greatest struggle is not with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our greatest struggle is with God. We won't let God be God in our lives. There's a price to pay. Notice it says endure hardness. On a daily basis, there's a price to pay. Let me ask you a question. What price are you paying to be a faithful follower of Christ? Well, it's easy, does it, for me, preacher? Should it be? I'm not talking about becoming a martyr or doing like some religions do and taking stones and cutting yourself and all those crazy things. I'm not talking about that. But, folks, that's a, we have three things we can give the Lord. We can give him our time, we can give him our energy, and we can give him our money. What kind of price are we paying with our time, with our energy, and with our finances for the Lord? Are we faithful followers of Christ? Are we faithful Christians? Notice number four here in verse number four. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. There's a problem to avoid. A strong soldier for God does not entangle himself with the affairs of day-to-day living. He stays focused upon the cause of Christ, of reaching a dying world with the message of eternal life. He doesn't become entangled with the affairs of this world. His purpose is not to make money. It's not to seek possessions. It's not to focus upon this life. It's not to covet some position. 
or to indulge his or her flesh or to live in pleasure. That's not what a faithful follower does. That's not what a, what a child of God does who wants to be a faithful follower of Christ, a faithful Christian, a soldier who wants to endure hardness. Their purpose is to focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his message and his mission and to get the gospel to as many people as we can possibly get it to. There's no greater purpose on earth than doing that. You know what the greatest job on the planet is? I believe with all my heart. It's to pastor a church. I believe it's more important than being the president of the United States. I really do. You know what the second greatest job on the planet is? Which is what you and I have to do? That's to help our pastor pastor this church. Because he can't do it all by himself. You and I have members here, and we, we've decided to put our membership here and to, uh, to identify with the Central Baptist Church body. We have a responsibility to help our pastor. I'm not saying that we don't. I know that we do. Many of us do. But, folks, there's nothing greater on this planet to do. So what about being a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer and all those things are fine, but let me tell you something. When you look at eternity, getting the gospel to people, what preachers preach about, what Christians ought to be sharing about is the most important thing going on in this world today. And what our world needs and what that shooter needed before he did this terrible deed yesterday was he needed Jesus. Oh, may God help us. I don't know about you, but I fail. An awful lot in this area. There's no greater purpose on earth than carrying the message of the gospel. Number five, it's the last part of verse number four. It says, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. This is our motive. This is what it's all about. The greatest concern we ought to have as a faithful child of God, as a faithful follower, is does it please the Lord? If you go to Revelation chapter 4, the Bible says we were created for his pleasure. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. We're not here for us. We're not here for anything except to please the Lord, to honor Jesus. Nothing should hinder us from fulfilling that. Tonight, maybe we need to turn our eyes back on the Lord Jesus. Tonight, we need to put our eyes back on the Lord and do what he's given us to do. Leave behind others who have been trained to teach others also. Follow this principle. Pay this price. Go in the power of God, the, power, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, May the 25th, 2022. 749. So how do you know it's 749? Because it's right here on my clock. See, I put that up here on purpose because I want to make sure I stay within my time frame. You heard about the little boy that was sitting in church and it's on a Sunday morning. He hadn't been saved very long. He's just a youngster sitting with, beside his dad and his dad took off the watch and laid it up here on the pulpit little boy whispered to his dad, said, Daddy, what does that mean? What does that mean? The preacher took his watch off and put it on the pulpit. 
And the daddy whispered to his son and said, son, it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> and this may mean absolutely nothing, I don't know, but I'm going to try to make it mean something tonight. But think about it. You and I are alive tonight on this planet at this time. We're living in our time to serve the Lord. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We won't get an encore. We're not going to get a rerun. What's the word? Um, we come back as something else. What's it called? Reincarnation. That doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. May God help us to be faithful followers of Christ. You know, what I'm really talking about tonight is to boil it all down is we just need to do our best for the Lord Jesus Christ. We just need to give my best. If anyone deserves our best, the Lord does. We get to heaven. The rapture takes place maybe tonight. If it does, Brother Nate will close out the service. If Brother Ray Dombeck was here, it would be him closing out the service, but he's, <laughs> he's not here for me to pick on. When we get to heaven, we stand in the presence of our Lord. You know, we ought to be a little jealous. Some of our precious church members are in his presence right now. We've seen some of them graduate recently and in the last few years. And over the years. But we stand in his presence one day. You know what's going to matter? Did we do our best? Did we do our very best for Jesus? Just before midnight on September the 7th, 1860. A palatial side-wheel steamboat named the Lady Elgin left Chicago bound for Milwaukee. The almost 400 passengers on the steamer were returning from a long day's outing. The Lady Elgin sighted the Augusta, a schooner filled with lumber, around 2.30 in the morning. Visibility was poor, storm clouds raged, and the waves were intense. The Augusta's load of lumber shifted and the two boats collided. Within minutes, the atmosphere on the Lady Elgin went from merriment to pandemonium. The Augusta, sustaining minimum damage, kept sailing to Chicago. But a large hole in its side, the Lady Elgin sank within a half hour. People were only able to get into three of the lifeboats. Although the ship crashed two to three miles off the shore of Highland Park, the waves were so strong that survivors and bodies and debris were swept down to the northern shore. At that time, the lake shore in this area was considered of a narrow strip of beach rising up to clay cliffs almost 50 feet high. Around 6.30 in the morning, the first of the three lifeboats made it to the shore in the vicinity of the Jared Gage House, which still stands today. The Winnetka Telegraph Office spread the news to regional newspapers 
the newly completed Chicago and Milwaukee train line brought people to help as word of the accident spread. The storm left a tremendous undertow, creating the tragic situation that caused the exhausted victims to drift close enough to the shore to see it and be seen, but were unable to cross the breakers and died in full view of the people on shore. Immediately, a call for help went out from the Gage House, and residents rode horses down to Northwestern University and the Garrett Biblical Institute to find young men to help pull out survivors. Ed Spencer was attending Northwestern University at Evanston, Illinois. Ed was a rather well-known athlete of his day. He was one of the first to win a gold medal for the United States in the Olympics. The campus of Northwestern University is bordered on one side by Lake Michigan. One evening, Ed's doing his studying in the library, and a Storm's raging outside, and all of a sudden, some fellows come in and begin to excitedly exclaim, Ed, the Lady Elgin has just been thrown upon the rocks and is sinking. There are a lot of people on board who will drown unless we do something right away. Ed ran from the library out to the lake and saw that the situation was indeed serious. The storm had calmed somewhat, but it was still dangerous. But then, without a minute's hesitation, he rid himself of any extra clothing which might hinder him, and he dived into the rolling, chopping waves. He was able to reach the wreck, and fighting his way back, he brought the first person to safety. He repeated this heroic effort several more times when those on the shore said, Ed, you've done enough. You've done all you can. You'll surely kill yourself if you try it anymore. Ed's reply was, I've got to do my best. And again, he plunged in and brought another to safety, and then another, and another, and another, this he continued until he had rescued 17 souls who had been destined to perish. He could go on no further, but fell unconscious on the shore. They rushed him to the hospital, and while he was in ICU, he would come to and scream, Did I do my best? Did I do my best? And they would give him painkillers, and he would drift back off into a deep sleep. Again and again, hanging between life and death, Ed Spencer would come to and scream, Did I do my best? Did I do my best? Years passed by. Ed Spencer's now living in Phoenix, Arizona, paralyzed from the waist down and in a wheelchair. Ed Spencer never swam in the Olympics again because he sacrificed his health and his legs to save 17 people. A young preacher by the name of Ensign Edwin Young visited Ed one day, and Ed, who was a Christian, relayed the story of what happened to him. Tears coming down his cheeks. He said, I saved 17 people from death that day. I lost my legs and my dream of the Olympics. And not one person has ever said, thank you. But if I had to do it all over again, I would. The thing that still haunts me to this day is, did I do my best? That young preacher, Ensign Edward Young, walked away that day thinking, have I done my best? Days later, he would write, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus who died upon the cruel tree? 
Think of his great sacrifice at Calvary. I know my Lord expects the best from me. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? The hours that I've wasted are so many. The hours I've spent for Christ, so few. Because of all my lack of love for Jesus, I wonder if his heart is breaking too. I wonder, have I cared enough for others? Or have I let them die alone? I might have helped a wanderer to the Savior. The seed of precious life I might have sown. Edson Young wrote, No longer will I stay within the valley. I'll climb the mountain heights above. The world is dying now for want of someone to tell them of the Savior's matchless love. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? Heavenly Father, thank you tonight for the blessed privilege